The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome once again, Disability uh, Law Show. Love to have you along here. Savan Tamarkin, of course, is on board. John Schools uh, playing right along. Going to be answering all of your questions today. You want to reach out anytime you can, uh, whether it's during the hours of the show or otherwise. That's one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Real simple number. Help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address we always use on the show. You can ask your questions there and a free and anonymous website built just for you is called mydisabilityquestions.com. The beauty of that is you can leave your questions there and Savan's uh, team will get to them, answer them in depth. You can also search to see if your question has been asked or one very similar to what you're wondering has been asked on that website as well. Read the answer. It may have all the answers for you. If not, again, leave your question there at mydisabilityquestions.com and some We'll get back to you with the information you were uh, were looking for. But we'll get into this a little later on the show. Some emails and dealing with difficult employers while on LTD. We will get to that as well. But we always start, brother, with the uh, the week that was. What's been happening on your side? Well, John, it's been another very busy week for long-term disability claimants. I want to focus on, uh, at the outset of the show, uh, about some questions I've been receiving this past week not necessarily from people who have been cut off or denied long-term disability, which is really the majority of what we deal with, but people who are um, in the process of applying for long-term disability or thinking about applying for long-term disability, particularly during this difficult time with COVID, notwithstanding all the vaccines coming out. So we had uh, a gentleman out of BC. Uh, we have we have offices in, in BC, in Alberta, in Ontario. So, so we service all of these provinces and can help people uh, in all of these jurisdictions. So this gentleman from BC uh, contacted us because he is a bit late in applying for long-term disability, but not because of, of him, anything he's done, but because his doctors, um, simply because of COVID and the backlogs, have had difficulty filling out all the papers he needs filled out for his LTD long-term disability application. And so he's not yet at the point where he submitted the application because they're not done yet. And his concern to us, he's contacted us because he's now thinking, should I even apply for long-term disability? Now, to give you some background, John, this gentleman is a chain link fencing contractor, makes about 50 grand a year. He's uh, about uh, uh, 58 years old. Uh, He has a um, family doctor. He's got a psychiatrist. He suffers from panic disorder, adjustment disorder, depression, a lot of t- you know a, a lot of typical types of, of uh, mental health issues that we experience now that we encounter with claimants, and many of these, by the way, are related to COVID. Some of them are not COVID related, but nonetheless, a lot of mental health issues that we are seeing now mm-hmm. is the basis for people applying for LTD. So this gentleman clearly has the support of his doctors. That's what he's writing. And he's writing, should I even apply for LTD because I'm a bit late? Uh, I think he said that he's about a month late or so. The answer is this, unequivocally, absolutely yes. If you have LTD coverage through work or if you've purchased an LTD policy privately and you have that coverage and you cannot work at the present time because of some disabling condition, maybe that's a physical disability or a psychological mental disability or a combination of both, and your doctors are backing you up and they're saying, yeah, you should be off work for the foreseeable future, 
you should 100% apply for LTD. That's what it's there for. That's what this insurance is there for. It's to provide you that uh, you know, safety net mm-hmm. until you get better, until you get the treatments you need. Now, what happens in situations, John, because this comes up as well, where someone applies a little bit late and the insurance company, in some instances, takes a hardline position. They issue a denial for the application, a technical denial. They don't even look at the medical documents. They simply say, you know, you're a day late in applying. Yeah. You're a week late. You're a month yep. late. Okay. I have yet to see a case that has come across my desk or across the desk of any of our lawyers in any of our offices where once an insurance company has taken that technical position and said, you know, under the black and white letters of the insurance policy, you are late and we're not going to pay you because of that. I have yet to see a case where we got have gotten involved and, and we were not able to force the insurance company to pay on those kinds of claims. And, and the reason is this. When we're dealing with the legal system, I'm not talking about appeals. I'm not talking about you get denied and then you try and re-ask the insurance company to yeah, reconsider gotcha. their decision. Yep. I'm saying that when we start the legal process on a technical denial, uh, the insurance company understands that if we play this out, if this ever came before a judge, there is a principle of law, a doctrine of law called, called relief from forfeiture. That's mm-hmm. the actual technical name for it, relief from forfeiture. Our listeners can Google it if they want. Yep. Uh, it, this is a very old concept from from uh, um, uh, England uh, that basically says that our courts are, are not built or, or are not put there simply to uh, apply the law in a black and white fashion. They're there uh, also as courts of equity, meaning that they need to look at what is right and they need to figure out whether or not when there is a technical breach to a contract, like a contract of insurance, they need to assess whether or not that is a fundamental breach of the contract. Again, I'm getting into the weeds here in terms of, of the law, but what I'm saying is that it's very different for an insurance company to deny a claim on the basis of someone being late in applying for the insurance by a day, a week, or a month versus if the person, for example, you know, breached their automobile insurance policy by driving drunk, as an example, right? That goes to the heart of the insurance contract that you have with the insurance company that's insuring you for driving. But when we're dealing with a technical denial, what is the prejudice at the end of the day to the insurance company by you applying a day late or a week late or a month late? What's changed? No, nothing has changed. Yeah. The insurance company should be able to see through that and say, okay, you know what? It's not like you applied 10 years later. You simply applied a little bit later. And frankly, in this case, this gentleman from BC who contacted us, it wasn't even his fault. It was because his doctors, you know, there's this backlog now because of COVID. So my answer to anyone who's concerned about applying a little bit late, I'm saying if you can avoid being late, of course, be you know, avoid it. Try not to be late, but if you are late or if you've applied late and your long-term disability insurance company denied your claim on that basis alone, you need to contact us because we will be able to help you. We've helped many claimants uh, in these circumstances. And by the way, we're talking, John, about this technical denial. There are other types of technical denials out there. And frankly, without going into into them, I'll simply tell everyone this. If you've applied for short-term or long-term disability and you've been denied your claim, contact us. It costs nothing for us to review your case, to speak with you about your case, and to tell you what your options are. And in some circumstances, we'll tell you that, yeah, the insurance company is correct for this reason, reason or another reason. But in many, many cases, we will tell you that you have options. Here are the menu of options. Whether you choose to pursue those options against the insurance company is up to you. 
but you have those options, and that's absolutely key. Remember, John, knowledge is power. I know it's a cliche, but it's so true when it comes to insurance companies. People simply assume that insurance companies can do whatever they want. They cannot. They're not above the law. So, you know, based on this, this uh, you know, old concept of relief of forfeiture, why do insurance companies bother then if they just know they really have no strength in uh, in doing that? If you've missed by a couple of days, a couple of weeks, why do they bother? Is it is it the good old numbers game again, assuming people won't stand up and, and, and fight back? I, I think off the top of my head, I think there are probably three reasons that I can give. Uh, number one is that, what you just said. I think that they mm-hmm. know... Uh, that most people, if they deny people's claims, most people will walk away from these claims. They'll simply assume that the insurance company is correct. They'll assume that you can't take on the insurance company because it's a mammoth corporation with unlimited funds. They'll assume all these things, and these are wrong assumptions. And I'm telling you, not only as someone who advocates for individuals against insurance companies and forces insurance companies to pay, but also as someone who used to work for insurance companies in the past <laughs> and has advised insurance companies to pay claims you know, when insurance companies don't want to. So, so that's number one. Number two, I think that some adjusters simply don't understand the concept of equity. They don't understand that you can't just deny for every little thing. It's just not appropriate and it's not going to hold up in court if it ever goes to court. Incidentally, most of these cases never go to court. Okay? But, but, you know, these adjusters, many of them, they're not lawyers. They don't know. You know, and, and I think the third thing is that technically speaking, if you think about it, the insurance company is correct. Again, technically speaking, not from an equity standpoint, but from a purely legalistic, you know, uh, dotting the I's and crossing the T's technical standpoint. But again, it's not black and white. When we're dealing with these kinds of cases, John, it's not black and white. So again, the message is this. If you've been denied long-term disability or if you're thinking about applying and you're afraid of getting denied, don't be afraid. If you cannot work because of a disability, physical disability, psychological or mental or a combination of both, you should apply so long as your doctors are, are you know, they're backing you up, they're confirming that you're disabled. And if for whatever reason you get denied, just reach out to myself uh, John, you're going to give out our contact info. People can go to our website. Uh, you know, we will be able to help you in terms of giving you the information you need and to tell you if the insurance company is in fact correct or not. Yeah, we always say tell people on this show and on the TV show as well, don't be shy. Just reach out, have a conversation. There's really no commitment. You're just uh, filling yourself with more information than you had before you picked up uh, picked up the phone or typed on the keyboard. To reach out, to, as Savan says in that regard, the phone number is simple, one 821 5900 We always use a help at disabilityrights.ca. It's a simple email to remember, so effective, and as mentioned off the top, mydisabilityquestions.com. That is a place with a searchable database absolutely free and anonymous ask your disability questions there it could be for someone who's wondering a family member colleague someone who's bashful ants ask the question mydisabilityquestions.com a member of someone's team will get to it and again if it's free and anonymous if you see a question there that has been answered you don't need to type anything shut down the browser and you are done it's just that simple more of your emails and we will deal with dealing with difficult employers well on LTD that's coming up in the show in just a bit we'll take a short break and get right back to it disability law show global news Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. 
Welcome back. Disability Law Show. Reaching out anytime to Savannah or a member of the team. Write the number down if you don't have it already. If you're a weekly listener, well, then good for you. You probably got it. one 821 5900 Help at disabilityrights.ca. You, you answer questions, Savannah. You have offices uh, pretty much uh, all over the place, almost from coast to coast. You're, you're always always growing, always building. But we did just get an email from uh, from Wendy, who's actually in Winnipeg. So let's deal with this right now. We don't have an office there yet, but hey, answering all the questions as as I know you like to do. Wendy says, hey, Savannah, I've been on long-term disability for over three years due to uh, anxiety and depression from work. She's an RN. During my time off of work, both my children developed chronic illnesses, uh, illnesses time that required extensive medical and surgical interventions and exacerbated my anxiety and depression even further. My children's condition is somewhat under control and my anxiety has improved. However, I'm still very anxious to be going back to work because my employer let go of my original position. I have no current job to go back to at the moment. My employer is supposed to be finding me a new position. So that is giving me even more anxiety because I'm going back to work in a completely new job. I've been cleared to go back to a gradual back-to-work program by my doctor, and now my insurance provider has uh, cut me off last payment end of May. I was told from the beginning of my disability claim that my insurance provider would support me during the time when I would be ready to go to a gradual back-to-work program. Now they are telling me they don't need to support me anymore because I have been given the okay to return to work by my doctor. I told them that I have been given the okay to go back to work to graduate work program. They told me it's not their problem anymore. Now I'm in a bad spot. No job, no insurance, and now my anxiety is through the roof again. Can they just cut me off like that? Wow. Yeah, that is a, that is a big one here. And again, for everyone out there who's listening, you can see those questions being posted in real time on mydisabilityquestions.com. Look, uh, Wendy. Um, you know, the line that really struck me here, and we've talked about this before, John, many times, is this. She says, I was told from the beginning of my disability claim that my insurance provider would support me during the time when I would be ready to do a gradual back-to-work mm-hmm. program. Your insurance company is going to tell you everything under the sun. Insurance companies, this is what they do. They tell you they're going to be there. Think about the last commercial you saw on TV or heard on the radio from insurance companies about how they're the best ones. They're the ones who are going to be there. You're going to have peace of mind. That's the key, right? Peace of mind. That's what insurance is for. Travel insurance, house insurance, car insurance, health insurance. Listen, when you get insurance, when your insurance, when, when your employer gets you insurance, you're not buying a friend. You're not buying peace of mind. You're buying, you're buying a legal right or your, or, or your employer bought you a legal right, a legal right you can enforce. Insurance companies are in the business of collecting premiums and denying claims or paying very little, if if anything, on claims. And so it's up to you as an individual, if your rights have been trampled by the insurance company, as this lady's have here, Wendy, that the insurance company must be made to pay. Now, first of all, when an employer lets go of an employee, while the employee is on disability, the employer not only potentially owe severance to the employee, which we deal with, our employment lawyers at the firm deal with these kinds of cases all the time, but the employer is also uh, potentially on the hook for human rights damages because you're not allowed to let someone go. But in this case with Wendy, it seems like the employer is simply saying, we had to move on, but we're going to find you a new position. And that created in itself another level of anxiety for Wendy. And so this may potentially torpedo her ability 
to try the return to work program. But she's stuck, as many people are, John, between a rock and a hard place. On the one hand, she thinks she may be ready to try a gradual return to work program in her old position, which is not available now. And the insurance company saying, but guess what? We are not going to give you that safety net, right? It's not our problem anymore. Well, guess what? It is their problem. Because if now you are unable to go back to work because of increased anxiety and your doctor supports you for that, the insurance company is going to have to pay you LTD if you're unable to go to work. And if for whatever reason, for whatever reason, they, they're not going to pay you, we can go after them. This is what we do. As a yeah. firm, as lawyers, we go after these insurance companies. We don't act in a defensive way, right? When we get retained, John, by a client, we go proactively after the insurance company. We start that legal process, and then internally within the insurance company, the file gets transferred to an adjuster, not the one that cut you off or told you they're, they're not going to cover you, but to an adjuster whose job it is to deal with me and my colleagues, and their job is to resolve the claim for the insurance company because guess what? When we are involved, we cost them money. They have to get a lawyer involved on their end, and they hate paying their lawyers. I know. I used to be one of their lawyers. <laughs> they hate paying their defense lawyers to fight these claims because they know at the end of the day they're going to have to pay. So if you're like Wendy, you're in that situation, you also have to be very careful with these gradual return-to-work programs. You know, one of the things, and this is just a, a sidebar, uh, because I know we have many doctors that are also listening uh, and psychologists. When you have a patient that you think is ready to go back to work or try to go back to work in, in a modified capacity uh, or in a gradual way, and you're speaking with, with your patient, and the patient also agrees that they're ready to go back, which is great, it's admirable, you have to be very careful what you communicate to the insurance company. Right. You can tell the insurance company, yeah, my patient, Wendy, is ready to go back to work, to a gradual return to work program. Th that's one way of saying it. Right. And of course, what the insurance company hears is, oh, this person is ready to go back. They're no longer disabled. That's what they're right. interpreting. Or you can be a bit more nuanced and say, in my opinion, at the present time, given the present circumstances, I believe that it's the right time to try a gradual yeah, return to program, yeah. right? But we will have to reassess in a week, in a month. Give yourself that latitude. Give yourself some space. The insurance company is going to cherry pick from the doctor's reports, from the psychologist's reports, from, from whoever it is that's sending them reports, they're going to cherry pick what they like. I've seen this time and time again. And it's going to make the individual's life more difficult if that person is actually unable to go back to work or if they try to go back to work and they fail in that return uh, to, you know, to work program. But again, you always have options. You always have options. You know, th this lady here, John, how did, how did she end the, uh, the email? She says, now I'm in a bad spot, no job and no insurance, and my anxiety yeah. is through the roof. Of course it's through the roof. No job, no insurance, no money, no, no lifeline, yeah. nothing. She's got children that have their own issues, and she's an RN herself. I'm dealing right now with, with another lady who is an RN. Um, in fact, she works on COVID units and, and you know, what's happening with how the insurance company is treating her husband who's severely disabled is atrocious. Yeah. But we, our job is to make these insurance companies pay. And sometimes, depending on the circumstances, we don't just go after the insurance company for the money they owe our clients, but we go for punitive damages and aggravated damages. We want the insurance company to pay more 
than what our clients are entitled to under the policy because of how our clients have been treated. If, if Wendy does go back and the insurance company just, just dials it back and settles down for a moment and it turns out she, she doesn't make it, she has to go back off, she should, she should be pretty familiar, at least read up on, uh, I guess, what you would call a recurrence clause in her policy. That might be activated, yeah? Absolutely, exactly. Most of these LTD policies contain these recurrence clauses. And what they basically mean is that if within a certain period of time of trying to go back to work after you've been on LTD, you find that you cannot continue working. In other words, it was premature for you to try to go back to work. And it's documented by the employer and it's documented by your doctors because you've updated them. The insurance company should put you back on claim. The insurance company should continue reactivate your LTD without without you waiting the initial elimination period, which is a period of time at the beginning of your LTD application where mm-hmm. y- you didn't get any money. Usually it's about 90 days or sometimes even 120 days. It's anywhere in between those. No, you should be able to, to, to go back on LTD. The LTD should snap back. However, in some cases, many cases, unfortunately, that I see, insurance companies refuse to do that for one reason or another. Again, that's where we get involved. Don't take whatever the insurance company uh, is doing as gospel. It's not. These insurance companies make mistakes all the time, and these insurance companies oftentimes do things that they're not allowed to do. And again, sometimes, I think sometimes it's intentional. I've seen situations where it's come out that, look, the insurance company knew what they were doing. And by insurance company, by the way, I'm sort of drawing everything. I'm, I'm, I'm painting everyone with the same brush. It's not. It's specific adjusters. You have bad apples out there. You have adjusters who are just not good people. Conversely, you have adjusters who are good people. They're just reading the policy incorrectly or they don't know the law. This is where we come in because we can help you spot that and make sure that we go after the insurance company, make sure that the insurance company does not get away with keeping the money that is owed to you and your family. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to reach out. Uh, you can do that or email, and that is help at disabilityrights.ca. Where are we going now, pal? Before we break. Yeah. So we got. Uh, I had a question that was emailed to me by a gentleman. Let me just read you quickly the email. He says, "Hi, Sivan. Wondering if you can help me with a quick question regarding what info my family doctor should be sharing with my insurance company. Background: I'm nearing the two-year mark on LTD post con- uh, for post-concussion syndrome." Uh, and my provider, insurance provider, has already approved me beyond the two-year mark due to cognitive limitations. I received a call from my case manager this week, and she had some questions regarding the clinical notes my doctor recently provided her. Many of the questions were regarding health discussions I've had over the last 10 years with my doctor, and they were very personal issues like depression, diabetes, alcohol use, weight control, things not related to my treatment or current disability. Should my GP have provided all of my clinical notes? I would have thought that he would provide an update to issues relating to my disability claim, or what if any abilities I may have but didn't expect to be asked about very personal issues that I've discussed with my doctor. I'm not really looking to cause trouble for my doctor, but I'm concerned with how how much personal info my case manager has, and I'm not sure how to proceed. Any help, advice is greatly appreciated. So this is actually the third uh, email I had received this week from people from, from different parts of the country uh, about what information and documentation should be disclosed to the insurance company. Uh, now, I want to delineate between um, the information or documentation that's given to the insurance company before there is a legal process that's engaged uh, versus after the legal process. First of all, when you are dealing with your insurance company, there's no legal process, you're getting paid just like this gentleman here, 
and the insurance company is asking for documentation, you know, generally speaking, they're entitled to the documentation that is uh, specific and relevant to your disability. You know, that's the scope, really, right? That's really where the frame, uh, you know, should be drawn around the information that's given to them. You don't have an obligation to give them everything under the sun going back 30, 40, 50 years. But I always tell people, look, think about the practicality of the situation. If your insurance company is insisting on getting your entire medical history, you can say no, and it would be your right, in my opinion, to say no, because it's not relevant. Not everything is relevant. But how is the adjuster going to look at that? Is the insurance company slash adjuster going to look at it and think you are trying to hide something from them? Or the insurance company and adjuster, you know, they're going to understand where you're coming from. Chances are they're not going to like the fact that you are, you know, not giving that to them. And they may use that as pretext to cut you off. In which case, again, we can help you with that because you're correct. But the question is, do you want to go there? You know, are you really that concerned with them having that information that you don't want disclosed? If the answer is no, you're not really that concerned about it, then disclose it. And I only say that because, you know, the goal is to avoid you getting cut off LTD. Again, if you feel strongly about it, and I think you would be right not to disclose it on principle, not necessarily practically, but on principle, well, in that case, it's really up to you whether or not, you know, you want to disclose it. But if you if you disclose it, chances are you will not get cut off. If you don't disclose it, chances are you will get cut off. That's very different than when the legal processing is engaged because when we're dealing with the insurance company on the legal side of things, they're only entitled to what is relevant to your disability and to your claim. And if we have to go before a judge to argue that, chances are a judge will agree with us that the insurance company is not entitled to unlimited amount of information about your personal life, your personal history, and your medical history, only to what is relevant to your disability. But again, before we even get to the legal process, you got to consider whether or not you really want the insurance company to take a hardline position about you not disclosing the information they've requested is that really going to make a difference to you? So it's really, you know, a personal choice, John. Um, on principle, you can choose not to provide it, but that could probably lead to you being cut off. And again, we can help you with that, but do you do you want to go there? That's the question. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Reach out anytime. Ask your questions. Help at disabilityrights.ca and simply disabilityrights.ca. The website to take you to uh, links to our TV show as well. We'll continue disability law show. On Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Disability Law Show reaching out. Anytime, don't uh, don't be hesitant. Just to have a conversation, get a bit of information. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. That'll put you in touch with Savannah, and a member of his team, his crew, very capable and willing to uh, to have a conversation with you as well. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address. Okay, take us back to what we were talking about. The uh, that two year mark, right? Yeah. We so we were talking about this gentleman here who was asking John. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not his doctor should have disclosed all of the information, uh, documentation, medical history for him to the insurance company upon request. Uh, and, and we answered that in the last segment. Uh, but one of the things that I wanted to chat about really quickly, and something that we've spoken about before, many of our listeners are familiar with this, but we do have new listeners every week. So I want to make sure that we cover this. 
This gentleman, when he wrote to me, wrote, I'm nearing the two-year mark on LTD for post-concussion syndrome, and my provider, my insurance, my LTD insurer, has already approved me beyond that two-year mark. So I just want to stop there. And again, the significance of this is that for most long-term disability policies out there that we see, standard LTD policies, to get LTD or to qualify for long-term disability payments for the first two years of the policy, you have to satisfy the test under the policy of own occupation, which means, are you disabled from performing the essential tasks of your own occupation? And the reason why that's important is because that test changes at the two-year mark under most policies. The test changes to any occupation, but let's not forget the last part of that test, any occupation for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience. So someone out there who's making a hundred grand a year, if at the two-year mark that person can go back to work but earning only $20,000 a year, that's not right. That person, even though they can go back to some kind of work, it's not the kind of occupation for which they're suited for by training, education, or experience. And so what we typically look at is we look at how much money can this person earn at that two-year mark. And courts in the past who have looked at these kinds of cases across the country, across Canada, have said that if you can earn at the two-year mark around 60-65% of your pre-disability income, well then chances are you can work in any other occupation for which you are suited for. But what happens, John, and this is important, is that many individuals out there who are getting close to that two-year mark, usually we see this around the one-and-a-half-year mark, uh, or a month or two before the two-year mark, people get a letter or an email or a call from their insurance adjuster that says, we do not believe that you qualify beyond the two-year mark, and so therefore we're going to cut you off LTD. And so people then get scared, they panic, they get anxious, you know, they, they don't know what to do. Sometimes they appeal it, they get their doctors to write letters, the doctors don't know exactly what to write, there's a lot of miscommunication, the insurance company sends back a further denial. Which is why we tell people, if you are unable to work in any other occupation where you can make 60-65% of your pre-disability income at that two-year mark, your LTD should continue. Again, there are some circumstances where that's not true. For example, there are some LTD policies, it's very rare to see, that only cover you for two years. In other words, there is no post-two-year mark. But those are rare. Usually, LTD policies will cover you to age 65 so long as you qualify beyond that two-year mark under the any occupation test. So again, we tell people, John, give us a call. I know it's a lot of information. Give us a call if you have a, a question. Go on our website, email me, go to mydisabilityquestions.com, post your question, wh whatever you want to do. But just get the information you need because many people, John, will be left on their own thinking that they only get paid for two years for LTD when that's not true, when they're in fact not yeah. ready to go back to any other kind of work. And we help with those kinds of cases. And frankly, it's not actually difficult to resolve it with insurance companies. Again, I, I mentioned that sometimes doctors are asked to write letters for claimants uh, to help someone get LTD beyond the two-year mark, but the doctor doesn't know what to write. Yeah, right? it's they're not legal people. They're, they don't yep. understand. They're doctors. In fact, mm. they're doctors, and sometimes they think, oh, well, but but you're not totally disabled from working in any other occupation. Again. The doctor is looking at this at this question of disability from from a purely medical standpoint, from a purely lay person standpoint, not from a legalistic standpoint. 
not from a, you know, what does that mean under the contract of insurance with the insurance company, which is why we tell people, give us a call, contact us. Sometimes we can direct doctors and explain, here's what, here's how to articulate, uh, articulate exactly what it is that you want to say for your patient. Many doctors, by the way, find themselves uh, very frustrated dealing with insurance companies. And in fact, we speak with doctors all the time who contact us anonymously on behalf of their patients, right? They don't disclose who the patient is, but they say, here's the problem. How do I deal with this? How do I help my patient? Or they tell the patient, their patient, to contact us directly. And so we help them. And, and a lot of times we can resolve these issues with the insurance company fairly quickly, fairly easily. But, but you need to have that expertise because if you sure. don't, you're going to go into a labyrinth, you're going to get frustrated, anxious, you're going to be left with no money, and you're going to think the insurance company got the better of you, and that doesn't have to be the case. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. That is the number to reach out. Still a couple minutes to go before we uh, we got a break, pal. Where do you want to take this? Uh, another question, John, from uh, mydisabilityquestions dot com. This one comes from Linda in Kitchener. Okay. Uh, she watches our TV show on Global, and, and Linda writes, "I've been at my job for almost twenty years. Things are changing rapidly, and I have been accused of making mistakes and slow turnaround time. I have diabetes, arthritis, depression, and high blood pressure. Can I go on LTD?" Or will I have a fight on my hands? I really do not enjoy being there anymore. So it's a loaded question a bit, right? Because I'm not sure if Linda is unable to work, if she's disabled from working because of her diabetes, arthritis, depression, and high blood pressure, or if she's simply in a situation where the employer or, or the people that she works with are making her job impossible for her to do. Either way, we can help her. And this is key to understand. We do not only um, uh, work uh, for, for, for disability claimants, but we have employment lawyers. We have a very robust employment practice. We have lawyers that specialize. That's their practice area, employment law, on behalf of employees specifically. And so with Linda here, you know, the key here, the key thing to understand is that if she is disabled from working because of her conditions and her doctors confirm that she needs time off work, she should apply for LTD. And if she gets denied, we will help. On the other hand, if it's not a disability issue, it's simply an issue of the employer making it impossible for her to work because it's a toxic work environment. Mm -hmm. We can help her with her employer. Either right. way, she should not be left on her own. We can help her both with the employment matter and the disability matter. That's a great point. And to reach out to either, uh, Savannah will put you in touch. Uh, whichever avenue you have to go down, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. And for more questions anytime, you can ask them, and they will get answered at mydisabilityquestions.com. One last break, and we'll get the last to the last few minutes of the show right here, Disability Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey, welcome back. Disability Law Show. Love you hanging with us for the past hour. By the way, to reach out anytime, some questions have come to mind. After you're listening to Savan talk about different cases and emails, you can reach out as well and you will get answered. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Mydisabilityquestions.com is yet another resource for you. And a good old-fashioned phone call, one 821 5900 Okay, pal, one more on your side, then I think we'll get to an email that's uh, that's just been sent to us. What do you got? Absolutely. So I got an interesting question here, and it came from an employer, actually, who uh, is a listener. 
I'm not going to mention his name, but here's what he writes. Uh, the subject line of the email is standardized testing and cognitive issues. And he writes, as an employer in a service business, I get tired of doctors sending letters telling me about symptoms rather than showing me that there is a functional impairment. Cognitive issues can be tested in a doctor's office, yet most doctors don't make any effort to do this simple testing. Why should I have to believe that symptoms are impairing when there are reasonable standard tests that could be provided by the employee slash doctor? So this comes from an employer and there is an employment element there, which I'm sure my partner Lior Samfiro, host of the Employment Law Show, uh, can talk about. But I want I want to you know uh, talk about this in the context of insurance because we have a lot of claimants contacting us where the insurance company denies the LTD claim on the basis of a lack of objective medical findings for our functional impairments. So one of the things that we typically tell doctors uh, or treatment providers, psychologists, psychiatrists, etc., uh, that they need to do when they provide letters of support for LTD claims on behalf of their patients is to explain to the insurance company, not just to give a diagnosis, but to say, here's how this functionally impairs the individual. So this employer is correct in that regard. Because, John, you can have a bad back, but that bad back may not functionally impair your ability to host these shows on the radio, right? right? right. Uh, so it's really important for them to tie the two, to, to have, if it's not a diagnosis, and until, you know, then at least hear the symptoms, they're impairing the person, uh, and here's how the impairment uh, uh, prohibits the person or, yeah. or diminishes the person's capacity to be functional at work. Mm -hmm. And this is why they need time off. Now, keep in mind that when we're dealing with cognitive issues, it can be a bit more tricky, right? First of all, you need to go to either a psychologist or a neuropsychologist, neuropsychiatrist, neurologist. There's a whole bunch of specialists out there that can deal with cognitive types of issues. And you know, it's tough to put this at the feet of the patient or, or the claimant to say, you fail to provide me, me the insurance company, uh, with an appropriate report that explains your functional impairment when it's really your doctors, you know, who are providing the report. But again, this comes down to communication. And this is where we come in because many people are legitimately unable to work. They're disabled from working because of a cognitive impairment. Maybe there's memory loss. There's confusion, uh, early onset of Alzheimer's, or whatever other issue. You know, now, by the way, with COVID, right? We know that there is some, you know, long haulers. We know people who are having issues because of COVID, uh, or, or, or psychological types of issues as it relates to COVID, and because of those, they can't work. Sometimes you don't have objective testing. Number one, number two, even when you do, you know, it's it's really it comes down to does the doctor know what the insurance company is asking for? And some people get denied LTD, not because they're not disabled, but because the insurance company has not been spoon-fed the correct information or the appropriate information or the sufficient information for them to determine if the person is in fact disabled or not. And again, if you're denied for that reason, you know you're disabled, your doctors know you're disabled, this is where we come in because if you simply accept the insurance company's denial or if you go you know, round and around you know, uh, and trying to appeal these decisions, simply giving them the exact same information, same reports for which you were denied in the first place, you're going to get nowhere. You're going you're gonna to waste time. Sometimes you're going to miss the limitation period, right, for starting the legal process. So it's really key to get the right legal information about your situation as soon as you are denied long-term disability. That's my message, John.
Let's get to Glenn quickly here. The last few minutes says, uh, guys, I was on short-term disability for six months, and when I applied for long-term disability, they denied me. I suffer from seizures and a degenerative neurological condition that was just recently diagnosed. My LTD insurer is the same insurer that paid me short-term STD, and my doctor confirmed that I can't work. I appealed, and I was denied, and then my girlfriend heard your show and told me to write you. Can you help me? 46 years old, and I don't really know what I should do or if there's anything I can do. I've worked all my life, and this has taken a huge toll on me, and I'm really scared. I spoke with one lawyer already who said that I should appeal, but if uh, I don't know if that's the, the right thing to do. Please help, says Glenn. Glenn, first of all, thank you for, for reaching out. I'm very sorry for what you're going through. The lawyer you spoke with doesn't know what he or she is saying, Okay. Clearly, you've already appealed and you got denied again. So, you know, it always irks me when I hear lawyers telling claimants, appeal these decisions. Uh, your girlfriend is correct to have contacted us. Now, keep in mind, uh, the test for getting short-term disability and long-term disability are often one and the same. And in your case, it's the same insurance company. The problem is that it's probably a different adjuster that approved you initially for short-term right. disability, and now there's probably a different adjuster in a different department that simply interpreted the same documentation in a different way. But we can use that against them, right? We can start that legal process against the insurance company, and chances are they'll fold like a stack of cards. And, and you know, the one thing that you should absolutely not do is appeal again. You should not walk away from this. If you have this degenerative neurological condition that you're talking about and you have seizures, I mean, this is big, big stuff and you're young, you're 46 years old, we can help you with this. So please reach out after the show and we'll make sure that we take this taken care of. Glenn, nicely done. It was smart of you to reach out. Your girlfriend, thank her for listening and, and telling you to uh, to prod you and telling you to reach out. It'll be, a, it'll be a wise thing for you to call after the show again as we uh, we get out of here for another day. one 821 And as we just used, help at disabilityrights.ca. Free website, anonymous as well, mydisabilityquestions.com. You can use that anytime you like. And to catch our 30-minute television show weekly, you can go to disabilityrights.ca. Find the links there as well. Thank you for your contributions and hanging in for this hour. We'll catch you next time. Disability Law Show, Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.